0: Welcome, One Financial. Friends, you can go way back. I was trying to remember this morning um, how we started working together. We started working together before I was actually in the business. Yes. But I don't even know how we got introduced. I know like-
1: As a client through Corey.
0: It was a Corey, but I didn't know Corey. I was trying to remember how that happened because I didn't know Corey until I started at PSR. I think, I think it was somebody else.
2: Mm.
0: And just coincidental that we became friends with, through Corey.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, you guys been around to watch our growth over the last twelve years, but same for you guys. You guys have blown up. How's the uh, how's it like being out on your own outside the big banks? Like originally when we met, you were the Lang team from Scotia Bank. Yeah,
1: before that, we were the Lang team at uh, at the Evergreen Bank and. You know, we've had a great run. The other green
0: bank. (laughs) (laughs) The other bank happened to be green.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we left our time at the banks, but we've noticed the opportunity where, once the Osphere rules started to get tighter and tighter, every bank was interpreting them a little bit differently, and depending on their business mix, their rules vary a little bit, and that's where there's an opportunity for the client to um, really maximize their outcomes, Depending on you know, we can pick different bank depending on their needs. And you know, once we've jumped over to the dark side, as they say, uh, we've never looked back. It's uh, it's been really rewarding.
0: Yeah, and, and do your do your clients see that. Like, um, is you know, are you able to compete more now for your clients, as far as like you know rates and obviously that is concerned, as opposed to being pigeonholed by one bank.
1: Well, it's you can really give advice because you have a broad range of. Uh, products throughout different banks versus just being able to advise on the best product that you have to offer. Now we can, we have a better um, options for cross-section of uh, possibilities, so yep. that makes a big difference.
0: Great. And uh, as far as the team goes, tell me, tell me about the team now. How, how, how big are you guys as far as numbers are concerned, um, whether it be agents or, or staff? Where are you guys at, now? Well,
1: we don't want to brag about our volumes. Uh, we- don't oh, you know, want to get into volumes, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that the big thing, the key for us is that what makes us different in the industry and, and throughout the years, I think we try to stick to that is that all of our salespeople underwrite first. So we don't have mortgage salespeople per se. Everybody who talks to the client is an advisor and they can understand the deal structure they can understand how the pieces of a puzzle can put, be put together, and then versus just trying to sell someone a rate or a term or something like that. So we're advice based, and we've managed to put a really good team around our salespeople so that they can then uh, talk to a lot of clients and have a really back end support uh, to then take care of that client and, and see it through. So, to answer your question, uh, our team is um, not huge by industry standard but' it's very high producing per um, per uh, mortgage rep per agent uh, which uh, makes it very efficient for for clients and for us I would say
0: great so let's um, let's go back um, when I met you Joanna you were The founder of the the Lang team, and Jason, you weren't there yet. You were stuck down in Bay Street, pulling your hair out, (laughs) right? There. there. Um, But Sam, you were pretty uh, early on to the Lang team. From when you started to when Sam started working.
1: 2011. Yeah, that's That's where we uh, started working together. So it's been a few years. Mm -hmm. We met at the bank.
2: So that's how Scotia. Yes. Or the Green Bank, Scotia. Yeah. Yeah, It was yeah Scotia when Joanna came over from TV, then her and I met. And at the time she was pregnant with your second child. And she was looking to expand because she, at that time was just a one one woman show, right? So we joined together and I was like her protege, right? And
0: how long were were you guys working together before you actually came together?
2: No, so in what sense? Like we, when she came over- You started working together right away? Well, I think you were over like a few months. Like the the whole idea of her coming over was to expand the team. Okay. That was like the draw, right? And then we uh, got introduced by our then uh, director. He had met me. I was working at the branch, doing mortgages at the branch. He had met me and said, this is not the place for you. You can do better. And then introduced me to Joanna, and then we clicked. We liked each other. Travel began. Yeah, rest is history. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you got her humor right away.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like it was like pretty instant.
0: That's great. That's great. Um, And Jason, how did you end up on the team? Besides yeah, being so, married to their uh, So I'm, I'm lucky
3: enough to be married to Joanna and when we represent present together Sam always jokes because people would look and say well how does Sam, yeah. but um, your know, background for me uh, accountant, I was in the insurance industry, I, I grew to be a CFO for a number of years, uh, you know, I wasn't home a lot, travelling a lot and, and Joanna was you know one of if not the top mortgage person within a bank across Canada, Sam sort of joined and they were creating this empire within Scotiabank uh, so that you know our kids started to feel that dad's never home mom's always working and it just piled up so the decision became you know am I like bye have a good one I'll be working or is there a way to work together so you know kind of I joined the the trio uh, with Sam Joette, and myself and and we grew to be you know very big I think probably the largest team within Scotiabank and we sort of hit the confines where okay now Kind of grown to your max, where could you continue to that growth? And that was in the mortgage broker channel, which was great because it was, I think we all had a discussion one day and it was like, okay, guys, this is what it's going to look like. And Scotia was, you know, very uh, gracious. It was literally, we kind of were working there one day, we moved over to the broker channel pretty much the next day. And the benefit for our clients was now we had access to, you know, Scotia, other banks, other monoline. So it was, you know, rather than one product, now all of a sudden we had. Twenty to thirty yeah. different products and lenders. So, from there, you know, kind of the rest is history. And you know, I think that's where we really started to work together as well. And yeah. kind of see each other's growth has been, um, I think, motivating for for everybody. For sure,
0: uh, I've really enjoyed watching you guys and, and work with you guys. It's always been a really great relationship, both socially and and professionally. Um, but uh, what I want to dive into now is the the, the that transition, right? So. Being at Scotia, you're in part of a machine. You're part of a monster. Um, you you have the infrastructure and the support. Tell me about the transition, and you guys can decide who wants to answer this. But tell me about the transition into running your own show and creating your own infrastructure and systems.
1: We were part of the monster. Now we are the monster. <laughs> <laughs> really, Sam and I do what we do well. It's really credit goes to Jason. Uh, for all the know. other things, for all the value add, yeah. all the systems, so uh, I'll let you take over from here.
3: Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the on terms of the sales side of things and, and motivation, I mean, they're the experts. And we also have Jason Friesen, who's uh, one of the managing partners, who was a top broker and m- came in with us when we rebranded Townline Financial. But really, the goal was... You you are missing a lot. I mean, when you're inside of a bank, you have a brand, you have a back office, you have you know instant credibility for the clients. So when we moved over to the broker channel, you you know people take it for granted. They just assume that you know your name is going to be powerful enough to make clients feel comfortable. Well, trust me, it's like you know that's not the case. So you really have to work hard building that trust, building that brand, building that you know it takes time. So. That was really the transition from the Lang team as we continued to add people, like-minded people. It was like, okay, we can't be under a name anymore. Let's create this brand as a team. And you know, Outline Financial fit us, you know, outline your dreams, we'll get you there. Um, So, you know, that was fun. We're sitting in a room kind of coming up with, you know, what's the best concept? You know, how's that gonna feel for a client? And, um, you know, and then you start filling in the gaps. You have your strong back office. We really, Joanna mentioned it before, we almost structured ourselves a bit as a law firm, whereas, you know, our advisors are really professionals at what they do. Some of them are accountants. You know, we've had lawyers in the past that are coming to our team. We have, you know, real experts that are supported by our underwriters and our admin and kind of our support staff were senior level people at the banks that, you know, they wanted something a little different, decide to join us. So we really kind of it's it's, you know, we can grow to be you know, we kind of hover around the 25 person range. I think that's big enough where we can service, you know, our, our broad range of clients and, and referral partners, but way. we can keep the culture and and make sure the client experience is the same. So that's-
0: Which is always hard with growth, right? Making a transition like that and building it up the way you guys have, yeah. and maintaining the culture is, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a it's a It's a, a lot of work. Job. Yeah, especially when we, you know, get locked up for two and a half years or three years.
2: I think we also didn't know what we didn't know when we made the yeah. shift, and that Perfect. was mind blowing <laughs> yeah. in itself, yeah. Yeah. right? Like- yeah.
0: been there. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: It was just, it was interesting, at least for me, like I, when that day came where we had finally made the decision and I was signing my resignation letter, I had never done that before. Like I was leaving the bank and for how we were raised, like cultural background, like you worked at a bank, that was like a big deal, yeah, right? Yeah. So for me to be quitting the bank now and kind of betting on myself and, and on this, it was like,
0: you got lots of advice from your parents.
2: Yeah, and the good the good news is, is that they actually didn't provide really any advice. I kind of just did it on my own. And I still like, I think at the time too, I was like, Joanna and I had worked together already five or so years. So, you know, there was obviously a lot of trust, right, between the three of us. And so I just kind of trusted the both of, you know, I trusted Jason. And I remember signing that letter and my hand was like shaking as I was signing it. And when we gave our resignation, it was interesting. but. More mind blowing than that was the transfer over and understanding what we were missing. Like we didn't quite understand it. And I think that in itself was a good experience for me because now when I provide advice, it really is advice based because now I'm taking everything into consideration for the client's needs. And I think that, knowing that myself and experiencing that myself, that's what I try to provide a client, is those options and understanding that.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pushing on 10 years, kind of plus, um, on the broker channel, I think watching, you know, they're, they're the sales experts, right? And you can be an expert at one bank. And even that, you know, that takes a lot of effort to understand the underwriting policies of that one institution, right? Now, all of a sudden, multiply that by 20 or 30. So, you know, if you're taking the leap over, it's like holy thing. Was that a big
0: burner? Was that a big uh, Yes, course? I think you take
3: for granted that everything's gonna be somewhat similar, and then you get into it and the nuances between the the you know the banks, the monolines, the you know, insured deals, dance. uninsured deals, um, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. But once you get good at it, what Samantha was saying, you're really advocating on behalf of your client, because you know right off the bat, we even know you know some some institutions don't work with the broker channel, but we know their policies inside and out. So it's like you're always kind of advising from that big picture and you're helping the client say, listen, in this case, it's probably best to do that because we're in it for the long run. You're gonna be best served to do this and here's why. Mm-hmm. Uh, or did you know, you know, sliding scale's different here. Maybe we can get a, a deal done that you can't get done there.
1: What I always say is that when uh, when you transition from being an expert at one bank to then going out in the world and being overwhelmed by what's out there and trying to learn it all you go through kind of stages like with like with you know any change your first year you're like wow i didn't even know what i didn't know that's the very humbling from coming being a successful person somewhere and then like ooh i didn't know this i didn't then you go through the angry stage <laughs> why didn't i know this and I didn't give client this or that advice because I didn't have the industry knowledge. I just had a was knowledge there any, of what was I knew. Was there
0: any short-term regret during that that phase where you made the transition to doing this on your own, not realizing what you didn't know?
2: For me, it just propelled like the decision was like further, like it was a great decision. Like for me, that's what it did. Because I was like, this is gonna be so much better on so many different levels. And
3: you know, and you have to, you have, again, you, you you thank Scotiabank, I think we, you know, we, we it's not for everybody. Scotia Bank is not going to be grateful. I mean, you're leaving. You're leaving them. Um, I think because we had put in a lot of time, you know, we had a good, a very solid reputation within the bank. They said, listen, we will work with you. So they also, you know, I think and that And we still also do a ton, ton of business of with oh, them yeah, because exactly. they have
1: a really good, a really good selection of products, a really good service. So most on that, on that sense, that. we didn't lose, that, that relationship is not lost. We just expanded it just our... Expanded our uh offering
3: yeah so but i don't think any re- i don't think any regrets i think what you were saying uh, kind of propelled We what you know it became opportunity okay you know, short, short, we we'll
2: call it short-term stress yeah well we're there was of course a little bit it's like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. well we jumped right in like those first few months we had meetings every single day with the lenders i remember we would sit one hour or two hours a day and we would just learn everything and then we would create like remember those spreadsheets yeah. we used to have which we cross reference and just to try to like get as much of an understanding as possible. And then eventually it all just like sits in your head. It's all like
1: a blurb now. Blur
0: it's it funny, we, we, we went through this together at the same time because mm-hmm. we, we were launching our yeah. brand at the time before Berkshire Hathaway. And uh, you know, you guys made the conscious choice to do this. We were forced into it. If you guys remember, we had we ended up with the RICO issues with regards oh, to, yes, to our brand right. and our marketing. Right. And, right. and we basically were told like drop your brand or launch your own brokerage. So mm-hmm. at least you guys had the <laughs> luxury of making the choice. No, we remember, didn't open a book, actually.
1: But yeah. you know what? Power to you because that original team of people uh, back at that little uh, little uh, storefront, yeah. um, you know, six hundred square feet. Y- you you've built. That's where the culture started, and you're still all together. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. the core people are know, still together. The yeah. core people are still together, and then you know, obviously, you naturally attract more like-minded people and build from there. But when it all started, and when you find the right people, and you can, you know, it's it's like a it's like a marriage, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you have to figure out all those pieces. But power to you to continue with with the same team and just grow and evolve and Blair's you the know. wife, Blair's the wife, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah, no, it's, it's been, open it's, open. been uh, it's been interesting uh, to watch. So tell me about um, tell me about your, your 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 client experience. I know firsthand. You know the reason why we work with you—not just because we're all close, but it's the it's the client experience. We know when we hand a client over to you guys, we just know they're being taken care of, right? So tell me how you approach a client, and and while you're while, while you're different from a lot of the same service that's out there.
2: I would say consistency is probably key. Like we have really good processes in place that we do, and we're con and we're not we're not stuck in our ways right like we're constantly evolving like Jason right now is is launching something for the brokerage that is going to change the processes and why is it happening because we see a potential to improve and so I think in that regard like that's what makes us different so as an example if we give like a service level standard right so for your agents, our service level standard is two hours. Within two hours of an introduction being made, a response is then given to the client. And that goes always. And it's just an email response, introducing ourselves and, and going from there. And then it's like follow-up. If we don't hear from the client, we follow up, we have like a process in place, it's within 48 hours. And then if it's not then, it's within 72. And then your agent is notified, right? So like that consistency goes for everyone it doesn't just go for you it goes for your agents it goes for the top producer to maybe not the top producer it's just how we do things um and then we tweak from there right and uh we make ourselves flexible yeah and for i think
1: 100 percent, and for individual client i think where the difference is we do a lot of business and we we really were able to define what we are and we we say that we're not in a mortgage business; we are in a relationship business, and that's what allowed us to grow over the years. Is because if you do the right thing, the money always comes. So I think that the key message there is in every to every conversation we come with an open mind. Let's see. Let's meet the client where they're at. Let's understand all the pieces of a puzzle, and then. You know, bring, we're not gonna give them 100 options because that's just noise. We're gonna give them two or three options and say this works for this reason, this works for this reason. Or in your case scenario, you should probably go back to that blue bank and my suggestion is do this and this and that. She the names. <laughs> because in, in, in your scenario, maybe you can port that mortgage and add a piece and this and do this and that. And hopefully this is the right advice we will, you know, help you figure out maybe how you should suggest that they structure it, but maybe sometimes we can't do, 99% of the time we'll do the deal, but sometimes we, maybe there's another option that they should explore, we'll help them on their way, but usually what happens is, A, that client's like, thank you, I didn't get that advice when I walked in there, Uh, so here's restructure, here's how you do it, and then they usually will refer us someone else or give us an opportunity to compete at maturity, but I think that that's the key message there. You have to do the right thing by the client and give them the right advice. And, and then that builds trust. And that's how our business is built, it's on trust. And then if that client says, hey, you should talk to Joanna because she gave me advice that saved me money and she didn't even do the deal, guess what?
0: You just um, oh, segue into my next question. Yeah. <laughs> Where does your business come from? Um, you know, how, how are you guys generating business? Obviously you have a book. Um, Where's new business coming from?
3: I mean, I I can take that too, because I think it segues exactly from the last point. I think, you know, I think the differentiator is a lot to do with the team. I mean, the difference is uh, the mortgage broker industry typically is a a lot of individuals that work under a name, under a brand. You know, at the end of the day, that's a one person show. Maybe they've hired an underwriter, maybe they've hired an assistant. But the level of that, you know, their experience is based on the deals that they've done. Right? Same as you go to a branch at a bank, the experience of that uh, FSR or um, that's the right okay. terminology yeah. Yeah. would be the number of mortgages that maybe they did, and you know they're also cross-selling. Whereas you know the way that we really saw the opportunity was you know, our, our managing partners, so Joanna, Samantha, Jason, Friesen, have done literally billions of dollars of mortgages, and that accumulated knowledge gets shared with the rest of the team, and then you bring on you know the other sales reps who also bring that knowledge. I mean we have one two three you know team meetings every week where we talk about what's going on in the industry what's going on with the deals we have an underwriting pod that sees every deal and packages it the same way for our lenders so our lenders love us so as a client you know you're getting the advice piece but you're also getting those years of experience and real deal knowledge that's constantly updated and refreshed yeah, so you're your own
0: company but you're also still a team. Right? Yeah, absolutely, so yeah, yeah. You're, you're, and, and like, that makes i compare it like, to like uh, it's like uh, you're the Heaps Estron of, of mortgages, right? Same type of concept. The, yeah, I mean it's it's, it, I, I, yeah, yeah,
3: I go back. I really think the lawyer law firms do it really well. I mean that would be the, you know, it's and the
1: Heaps Estrin is a great team too. Well, yeah, they're, we like
3: yes, it. yeah. No,
0: this 100%. I'm saying like she's she's a brokerage, but she's still a team, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, we a very uh, productive team
1: we Kaylee, Kaylee's team is and she's,
0: I think Kaylee. she's one of your big uh, big agents as well.
1: Yeah, shout out to Kaylee. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying
0: so to get yeah, se- segue back. Yes, exactly. Just so we- you know, I'm trying to get her on here. Uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> the, I mean, I think obviously a lot of our uh, business comes from our partners with the realtor partners. I mean, we you know You're um, segueing again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the the you know, it's it's a lot of where we've been successful is with you know Professional realtors who you know really care about the way that they treat or work with their clients, and then they see us an extension of that brand. So it's like, uh, and then kind of once you once a few people work with us and feel like wow, that actually added to the service that I gave my client, then it's you know someone saying hey, do you have a good mortgage broker? And someone tells somebody, it's like oh, try Outline Financial. You know Samantha, Joanna, Elena, Andrew, all these people are great. Any one of them are great. They're going to treat your clients. So I think it's a builds. it's a
0: testament to you guys that um, you know we go to your event every year, we're we're wherever you're holding it at the time, and it's always the same people. It's always the same agents returning year after year. Um, obviously, there's new people there every year, but getting a uh, little bigger. Your it way. is absolutely <laughs> never. But uh, the same people, the same agents that were there when I first started going are still there today, which is a you know obviously oh, nice. they're happy.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
3: And it's a knowledge sharing. I mean, you obviously you have to add value, right? You can't just be good at mortgages. You have to, you know, provide your partners with added value. So it's like, whether it's blog content, whether it's, you know, sitting, doing podcasts as a team and sharing information, um, you know, I think you were mentioned hosting events. So we have Urban Nation, Sean Hildebrand, the president there has been very gracious with his time. We've hosted 10 years in a row.
0: Which is always a great event,
1: right? Yeah. And this year we have
3: Benjamin Tall, the past two years has joined our event. So it's, you know it's so um, thankful for that thank you yeah thank you Um, but really it's just yeah it's just you always have to be thinking about where's the value like how are you adding value to partners how are you adding value to your client and um, I think yeah you can't take anything for granted right you gotta one
1: thing I want to jump in there too is I think you know maybe something that we don't talk enough but as we're talking it, it came to mind is what are the differences between just they're getting the deal and throwing it at the wall and seeing what, what sticks and really understanding Policies and taking the time to structure the deal like a lot of times I'll go back to the client and I say we need some exceptions here I need you to help me beef up all your paperwork so that when we package it for the bank We can answer all of their questions and objections and give them some other comfort show them Don't tell them you have network show them net worth or this or that so we and um, and, and some other, obviously other experts in industry too, if you really take the time working on that hard deal and doing it right, you are so much more likely to get an exception from the bank uh, to get this done uh, at the better price because you make them more comfortable with the deal. You put in the work uh, and you dug deeper. And I think that that's a huge portion of what we do is really not just quickly sweep through but really go deep so that we can pull the value and make the lender that often the bank or other lender really see the big picture which mm-hmm.
2: helps.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we were just talking about it um, you know you're building relationship with uh, realtors I know it's really hard for you know we're, we're always referring it's a, it's a one-way referral right? We, we spend a lot of time referring clients over to you guys you don't get those clients back it's her for mortgage brokers to refer um, refer clients because you're a lot of your business is come from other agents right but where I always see you guys are really good at is sending those clients back right when they start talking about renewals and, and figuring out what they're oh, gonna absolutely. do next and reaching out to you guys you're always good to you know. we always get calls from Sam that so-and-so is is talking about
3: yeah so we've done I mean we do have a really strong database a CRM system so every every introduction that we receive is tracked back to the person that introduced us. So it's it's it is interesting because this comes up, you know, five years down the road, that client is thinking about purchasing and all of a sudden that, that's sending it right back to where that relationship came from. Um, yeah, I, I mean I, there's also it's also the a dynamic clients you're referring working as a team. clients, right? As yeah. well as yeah, clients, clients there's a exactly. few
1: levels of separation and then if we can say okay they had great service from Mark's team. Did they talk to you about it? And then we can uh, pull bring that it together back. Together too. Yes.
0: So what other strategies, I, I know we talked about the yearly event and stuff and, and just what I mentioned just now, but um, what are, what's your other strategies for building relationship with realtors around the uh, the city, the industry?
2: We create a lot of marketing pieces too where it, it's not necessarily like glitz, it's more like real meat and potatoes of like what's going on. So for instance like if there's like a new introduction um, so when the NRST tax was introduced or uh, the foreign buyer bin came out, like we, we give them like a fact sheet so that they could either send that to their clients uh, or it's good for them to know. And then if they decide that they want to send it to their database, then we'll co-brand it. So, so many people didn't know that as a first time home buyer in 2022, if you bought, uh, you got an extra rebate. And so we created marketing around that, and that was an amazing touch point for many realtors to send to their clients, to be like, hey, if you didn't know, you should talk to your accountant about this. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of feedback where they're like, I didn't even know this existed, my clients were so happy, and so we'll co-brand that for the realtor. But we create a monthly kind of, I would say like a newsletter.
3: Yeah, you call it like almost a a value add pack. So, um, you know, one thing that, because we're numbers, people. One thing that, you, you know, report. my background was accountant. Which is,
0: I'm going to say, before you even say it, your market report is the best in the business by far. Like, everybody waits for it, right? Okay. No,
3: thank you. So, um, I mean, we did see that there was a gap in terms of the data availability and analyzing the data within the and Trevor region. Yeah, down. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one thing, we, we do that on a monthly basis, really deep. We go back, you know, 10, 20 years and we analyze sales, new listings, active listings, by region, and we have reports that compare three, five, 10 year averages and the growth, and then try and you know, provide some good tidbits and talking points each month that you know, a lot of realtors value. Some say, okay, I've never, I'm not gonna look at that, but it's just you know, it's finding areas where we can almost joint prospect, right? It's like, it's like okay, how can we help you go get business? Um, you know, is, it, is it hosting a first time home buyer seminar? and we put it out on Facebook where it's joint with that realtor.
0: Um, I, I see in our Slack channel um, <laughs> with all of our agents saying, does anybody know if the Outline Financial Report's out yet? Because okay. people, they don't even wait for the Tread one, they wait for the Outline Financial that, one, That's right? amazing. Yeah, it's great.
1: And you know, we've, and I have to say, all of those marketing pieces and value-add items are down to Jason's standard. <laughs> um, well, everybody's laughing, but that's true, right? It's not something that we just put out quickly. We Curated. The report
0: only takes Jason like an hour or two to put together, right? <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, that's a process. I mean, we're getting it
3: down to a, a side, but the one, I mean, it's hard, right? It, like anything, if you if you really care about what you're putting out, you know, you're not just putting it out to put it out. There's there ideally, there's some value. Like, what? Why do you want to put this in front of a client? Why is it going to make the realtor stand out versus somebody that doesn't maybe work with outline? And it's like, you know, so we do. It's a lot, yeah, it's, it's a lot of effort, it's, it's a lot of time. We, we you know, wish we could do more, we're working on that, but um, yeah, I think, I think, yes, to your point. Because it's at really, like Jason's
2: standard, it's no, still it, all in-house and he vets every piece. Um, so, so it's a lot of work for him, especially, like we all try to add value as like the partners to create the marketing, but then to Joanna's point, it goes through Jason and uh, before you see it, it's gone through probably 20 or 30 edits.
1: Exactly. But a big thing here too is what, the way that Jason approaches this, you get news coming from you, you know, news overload for all right. of us. But it's not the news. It's like, okay, what does this mean to you? And what does this mean to your client? So the noise comes in and Jason says, okay, what's happening here? Where is there an opportunity for the client or for, for the agent to share with their clients? Or what is their warning or what is... What, what does this mean? What are the consequences? And what are the opportunities? And I think that that's the key thing what the agents are looking for is like, what's in there that then I can use as my value add to my I referral think, source. I mean, in
3: fair, you guys are being super kind, but the goal is, like, you know, that's what I'm kind of bringing to Outline. You guys are bringing the skill and dealing with client. So, you know, we're pooling that together to, I mean, it's not any one of us that becomes Outline. Outline Financial is that because of you, because of you because of, you, because of me. me. Um, And then other people on the team bring in their piece. And we've been so lucky to build this great group that everybody's bringing a different skill set that creates the Outline brand, that creates our difference, which then we, you know, hopefully shows to our our partners, our partners' clients, our clients. And It takes
0: Um, a lot of work to to get there, right? It takes a lot of work to get to that great group. Like there's, we all think have made some fumbles over the years, but uh, um, you (laughs) know, but, but getting to a point where you're really proud of your group, that's it's really rewarding, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. let's talk about that. <laughs> not, not the fumbles, don't the, worry. The, <laughs> yeah. um, the, the functioning dysfunction? Yeah, exactly. No, but uh, let's talk about business and entrepreneurship. Like, you know, what has been your biggest um, obstacles in building this up to where it is right now? How would much you, time would you, say? you have? I'm no, kidding. I know, we all, we all have them, right? But like, what would you say? Or what's your, your, your biggest learning curve, I guess. Let's try it that way.
1: I think that being in a broker space, you're not just doing deals. You're also running a business and then you have to decide uh, where your time goes. And there's so many different aspects that you could invest your time in, but time is limited. So deciding on what are the core things you're going to focus. And I think the biggest, Thing was to decide what you are and what you aren't, and I think in our industry, same same with realtors, you really have to, you can't be all things to all people. No, you you have to differentiate yourself, and I think that that's been the hardest journey, and then trying to figure out what are the most important things and take out the noise and really focus on that.
0: Yeah, know who you are and who you need to bring on to fill gaps.
1: Yeah, that, that's always you know a work in progress, just trying to. Um, you know, hopefully attract the right talent for people who are great at their job, but also like-minded, care about the client the same way, have the same level of attention to detail. We we sometimes have too much attention to detail, but it works out for clients. Um, but I think yeah.
0: we just talked about what gaps Jason fills, so I'll let you answer this. But what what gaps does uh, Sam fill? Putting you on the spot here,
1: Sam. Little Sam, our our daughter from back in the day, that's how people look. Looking so cute over there in that little chair. That's right. (laughs) Sam is no shriveling violets. Sam is our broker of record. I know. Uh, And uh, she is incredible at, at compliance and keeping all of us organized. Sam is very compassionate towards her clients and extremely technically strong. Um, so, she's also a lead for, for other people on a team on how to solve deal problems. Uh, she, her mind is just so uh, good at putting the pieces together and thinking outside the box and I think that that's a huge uh, I not mean, so
3: necessarily deal deal opportunities. I mean, really, the, the, the really neat thing about a broker space is, and it was kind of similar back in my insurance day being in the insurance broker spaces, you know, a deal can get done. It's just at what price. Right? I mean a lot of our business is we try to get everybody, you know, in the bank space, a space, best rates. But if that doesn't work, you know, maybe there's a A-minus space or a B space. And the rates right now actually aren't that much different, but the underwriting rules are much more flexible. And if that doesn't work, you know, what's available in the private space? You have mix, you have individual private lenders, you have, you know, they're very equity driven versus necessarily the borrower driven. So, you know, Sam is really good at she knows all of that and kind of where you know someone would take them you know they're like i don't even know where to start sam's like <coughs> boom boom boom. she can just see it and kind of work the path and say well this this fits perfectly here i know the person that would do that this and the other and here's the next step and she's able to kind of do all of that um you know very quickly while at the same time being the principal broker and knowing that Visa requires this in order to be compliant because you know fraud and all this other stuff hurts the industry. So it's like, how yeah. do you do it the right way? Yeah. Um, so everybody wins. You get realtor gets the deal done.
0: Which was a lot um, of gray in the business, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's huge. I think at the end of the day,
3: we we get the deal done, which means the sale closes and the realtor's happy and it's smooth and hopefully re- results in And everybody business. can sleep at night. Everybody anyway. can sleep at yeah, night. exactly. So,
0: and think, um, so what, I'll ask for the three of you guys because... Um, you guys are all partners, and you have a fourth. We partner. have a, a fourth four, partner, Jason. So, partners, right. so we,
1: we couldn't like have a whole party here, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. but Jason brings uh, amazing value to the team. Uh, he is a relationship-making machine. He is uh, incre- he pumps out incredible amount of volume. With uh, he he adds another level to the team in terms of efficiency. Um, how he does the amount of deals that, that he can, and how he makes it really look effortless. Uh, so there's a gift in itself. So he's a big mentor to our salespeople as well, um, because you can, you know, there's only so many hours in a day, and how do you do that and provide the value, but at the same time balance your life? And you know, we all have lives, few kids. You gotta fit it in somewhere. Cats, dogs, everything else. Yeah. So just you
0: know. What uh, What about the, uh, the the learning curve on team management, right? That you've gone from a smaller, tight team at Scotia to now a twenty-five person team. How's the uh, managing the personalities that look like? are I don't think we. You know,
1: we're. I approach this. We work for the team. And the minute you forget that, you're dead, right? Because there has to be something in it for everyone. There has to be value. And I think the most important thing is is the ethics, the common goal, and and how you work. If you have the same common background, and everybody, you know, we all have to come together and work, but yeah, it's hard, right? Because you need to, You need to support your people and the same, like you need to give value to your referral sources, value to your clients and value to your agents. And I think we all are right now in partially in a value-add business. What are you contributing? Um, So is it a struggle? Always, right? Uh, Just that's the real, someone says something different, I think, you know, they're lying.
0: So um, I normally don't focus on the market too much on my episodes, but you know, having you guys here, I have to. Um, let, let's let's talk about the market. You know, treat us all like we're dumb and let's uh, break it down for people out there. What is happening?
3: Uh, are you hearing that? It's crickets. <laughs> uh, I think literally, I mean, across Trev, there were just over 5,200 sales. If you compare that to August 2020, it was less than half. I mean, in general, I think just the volume of transactions are down near 30% versus what we typically see, so things are slow. Um, and I think if you're in the you know, if you're in the transactional bit, you know, people have to buy a property in order to, you know, for a realtor to yeah. have a closing business. People you need that need a mortgage to do that. So if you don't have sales, you don't necessarily have those uh, transactions. I mean, we are insulated somewhat. We have a renewal, you know, we have our clients that are constantly renewing. Yeah. We have, you know, clients that because, you know, prime rate's 7.2% right now. Um, people are looking to how do I pay off that you know credit card debt how do i pay off that heloc how do i consolidate my car loan and all that so we do have some of that kind of refi business that sort of keeps it but it's slow i mean i think the positive out of this is it's been a long time since it's been this slow and we're finally starting to see that inventory creep up yeah um not necessarily great for everybody but if you're a buyer you know there might be choice right you're seeing um you're seeing active listings in particular townhome condo segment hit you know, near highs for the past 10 years. Uh, so, you know, September numbers will be really interesting to see what happens, but if you're a buyer, it might, you know, it, it be being prepared is, is, or or an investor that maybe has the access to capital. I think there's
0: key there, like I think there's gonna yeah. be, we talked about this before we started, but there's gonna be lots of opportunities coming up, right? Be yeah. greedy when people are weary, be weary when people are greedy. Yeah, So exactly. I think this is that time that's coming, you know, Tell me, tell me about the next few months, what, what, are your, what are your, you don't have a crystal ball, sure. but where do you see this going? Um, you know, first, first of all, yeah. do, we, do we have another rate hike?
3: Oh, good question. You, yeah, well, I'll let, I'll let the two of you, 50,
1: you take 50, that. 50-50, I think. 50, 50. Uh, but I think the big thing, when we're talking to the consumers, especially the investors, surprisingly many of them don't look at the fact that, oh, the prices, not in every area across the board, but generally the prices are down, which is the opportunity. They're looking short-term cash flow. Oh, the prices are down, but the rates are high, it's expensive to carry, it doesn't cash flow, it's not a good time to buy. Uh, we have some interesting uh, tools that Jason's built. Uh, looking at that and it is a very, if you look at the bigger picture, if you can cash flow uh, short to midterm, if you can get a really good deal on a property and, and in the short run rates are higher than average for, you know, last 10, 15 years, that is exactly the right time. You should look at what you can do. Um, and same with, with, with end users. Some sentiment is of like, oh, I'm gonna wait until the rates come down. Guess what? There is a correlation between rates and prices. For sure. Uh, and a lot of people are scared or they're waiting. I think it's per- precisely a really great time to jump in, understand what you can do, and then educate yourself on the market and, and look for an opportunity. Yeah. I am, for example, thinking about the OSFI and their stress test review. They're uh, doing that every year. In December, they have to review stress test and then determine if that rate plus two is still serving us and if it's protecting the market. And right now, if you know mortgage rates are ish, let's say six and a half percent ish, so you're qualifying at eight and a half. Do we really need to uh, protect the client because we're worried that the rates are gonna be at eight and a half? And I think no one in the industry is thinking about that. So maybe there's a potential for them to revise or abolish the stress test. I'm just you know hoping here. But there could be other factors that happen and suddenly if affordability improves, people feel good and boom. We've seen that switch before, right? Where things are tough, things are tough. And it's not it like- turns
0: on.
2: Well,
3: that happened in May, no? Yeah. So what is that? Well, I I could go back to your question. Will rates, will the Bank of Canada move up again? Um, Well, they were done in January, weren't they? (laughs) I mean, I think we saw that. I think we saw the market respond where even the thought that they were done got people buying again, got people thinking about buying. And we saw a run-up in average price to May. And then all of a sudden, the Bank of Canada's like, hold on a second. We're getting some pretty, I guess you call it, uh, uh, not, 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 Anyway, stronger than expected results in terms of inflation economy, and all of a sudden the Bank of Canada stepped in. June, July, increased rates, and everybody's like, oh no. So we were done in September, weren't we? September 6th, the Bank of Canada met, hold rates, everybody's, yes, we're done, GDP's slower, you know, all these economic numbers are slow. Inflation comes in, inflation comes in at 4% yeah. Yeah. versus, you know, an expectation of 3.8. All of a sudden, the market is, you know, the investor market, bumps up and down every single, you know, when SVB collapsed, bond yields dropped, interest rates actually dropped back in March, all of a sudden now, the bond market's pricing at about a 50% chance of a rate hike before the end of the year. Um, I would probably think that's maybe a good ballpark, 50-50, whether the Bank of Canada goes up once more, Um, but at some point, you know, when we hit that top, and hopefully sooner than later, I think for a lot of people, then I think you start to be, see people being able to plan, being able to budget, and they just take it into consideration. And then you'll start to see the market move. That's probably gonna move average prices up. And then the question is, you know, do you wait too long? Uh, and no one can time the bottom, but, you know. And some
1: interesting stuff with you pulling all the demographic um, projections, right? And, and how much housing we have in, in Ontario and how much we need. The shortfall well, It's, it's crazy, is short.
0: like we all know this, right? Like, like Doug's report last year, Um, came out with a 1.5 million unit shortage for the next seven years. Now that's not like, uh, that's just like dwellings in general. It's not not just, you know, sales and whatnot, but uh, like that's a massive shortage. Like the demand is there. We We know the demand is there, right? So, you know, they're all sitting on the sidelines right now. Inventory's starting to creep up. So what are the key indicators that you think will give buyers the confidence to come back with that type of demand that we know is there?
2: Uh, I think it's affordability personally. Like, I think that's where it needs to start. I think we always get this question, or at least I do, from clients. Do you think it's a good time now for me to step in, even though rates are here? And I always say, like, timing the market is never advisable, right? Do you need a place to live? Um, and I and a lot of people are becoming forced to, to find homes, too, because either their landlords are selling units or... Um, they're moving back in or something like that. That's what I've been seeing a lot lately. So I always say, like, can you afford the monthly payment? Are you comfortable? And then to Joanna's point, Jason's created some cool charts where we, like, show them, okay, well, if you wait and the price is here and it goes up incrementally, does it make sense still? And how do you feel about it? But I think there's always going to be a need, whether it's because it's too small or whether because you need to downsize or whatever the case is. And if you can afford the monthly payment, then I think it makes sense in any regard, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with where rental so prices are. so much noise, are.
0: right? It's, it's hard for, for, for realtors and, and for yeah. people like yourselves to, to educate the clients like that when there's just so much noise out there, right? right? Toronto Life and using the word bubble or BlogTO using the word yeah. bubble all the time and, and, you know. Everybody
2: wants to feel like they're getting a deal to some degree, right? Yeah. Whether it's the rate or the price.
3: That, yeah, I just think that, that word uncertainty, It doesn't cause action. Uncertainty is uncertain. You saw that. And you know, when COVID first hit 2020, so it was middle of March, 2020, April, no one bought, but no one listed. So it's just, the market just stopped. So you actually, and that's why, that's why we moved from a absolute standstill to prices shooting up that no one expected because the market stopped and then it just took off so you know once it's once, really
0: wild when you break it down what happened
3: yeah it's it's i mean it's it it, it like who it's would incredible. have
0: thought like when the world's shutting down we're gonna be locked in doors and like we just thought everything was gonna end everything was yeah. like yeah. we just launched this company yeah. <laughs> Blair yeah. I, houses, Blair we're gonna open houses we're so gonna you know, move to yeah. mexico yeah. right like yeah. we're just like let's call it but uh yeah look what happened it's, it's unbelievable
3: so I, I think you're feeling that a bit now i mean up to this point sales and new listings were sort of sitting you know they weren't really they were both kind of matching each other, which was let, letting, you know, average price remain relatively where it was. Now you're starting to see those new listings start to creep up. I think that's some, you know, maybe they're calling it deleveraging. So a lot of investors that maybe are carrying six properties, well, they're going to get rid of one. Maybe they're going to get rid of two, free up their cash flow to, you know, because interest rates are so high. So. Um, you know that's something to watch for that happened in uh, 2017 so the last time we had a market big market correction was the fair housing plan mm-hmm. 2017 what you saw there was areas like York um, and some of these other areas where inventory in particular detached inventory start to spike and that was a lot of yeah investors. Kathleen, so, Kathleen
0: wind 16 point plan right exactly it's it really effective
3: exactly so it, it I mean that was a shock system but you saw inventory climb we hadn't seen that until now maybe you're starting to see that but you know, because of the population growth supporting the demand side. You know, Canada grew 1.2 million at the latest quarter uh, results. Ontario grew over 500,000 people, um, the latest uh, quarter results. So, you know, rental rates are, it's hard for everybody, but they're going up because there's lack, you know, the vacancy rates are extremely low. So you're, you have this underlying demand. and you know there's an opportunity inventory starting to go when does that demand jump on that inventory and i think that's where you know i think i think interest rates will be a big thing once people feel like okay we've hit the top i think that will be the signal Mm -hmm. for people but then
1: the switch is gonna flip and it's gonna go (laughs) from zero to 100 (laughs) which we've seen so many times uncertainty causes people to pause and then when media starts saying oh it's, it's moving on in the other direction then it just, the switch
0: flips, right? What did CMHC come out with um, in the last few days? Yes. Is the, the shortage across the board.
3: Yeah, so, uh, oh, well CMHC, they, they did a, a study and I think they said we're, we're short by three, you know, take, three we're short million. by 3.5 million units to get back to affordability. And it's like 60% additional, of that's here. Right? That's 3.5 million units in addition to what the pace that we're already building. And meanwhile, the latest stats show, you know, housing starts have actually slowed a little bit. Renovation, uh, you know, renovation, Um, investment has slowed a little bit. Well locally
0: our recent elections not going to help that to speed up anytime soon, right? But there's
1: good news about the uh, new construction HST, Uh, they're taking that off, hopefully. Yeah
3: they're taking the The GST off. There's been some
0: updates to what they originally released, right? What's the update? Uh,
3: Well the updates is they're not uh, charging builders GST on on new bills and then the other thing which came out I think yesterday was uh, CMHC is increasing the amount of um, bonds that they'll offer so if you're an investor and you're gonna, you know, build a five or more unit residence. You can actually get access to better rates through basically CMHC backed insurance. So you go to your lender; they can then get get backstop, which gives you a better. That's rate, a which hidden list secret that people aren't are talking about. No, but oh, these okay, are all big things. So they are, yeah. there are actually there 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 are underlying actions. So it's nice to see there are some things being done that hopefully does stimulate you know, more units, we got a long, long way to go. And I think everyone recognizes that supply demand, it is imbalanced, it will be, but can we at least, you know, bite into it a little bit?
0: That actually piques me, um, my interest, um, um, I'm gonna have those guys on for an episode, so one of you guys should oh, wow. in
3: maybe and join on that
0: episode, that'd be good. I'd love just to talk about, about the CHC that. stuff. Uh, that'd be cool. Awesome, um, where was I just heading? I was just heading <laughs> somewhere else, because I wanted to touch on a few things. Um, uh, pre-con, pre-con market, where's it heading?
3: I mean, if Sean Hildebrand was here, he could tell you. I haven't <laughs> seen the latest quarterly update. Obviously, you know, the pre-con market was on fire for the GTA over, you know, many, many years. Um, uh, you know, they definitely slowed. I mean, I think the the cost to build a unit is so expensive now that, yeah. um, you know, a new build price per square foot versus a sale price per square foot, you know, there's, there's that. A, there's a gap there the gap. that's
0: reversed of what we were used to back in the day, right? Yeah.
3: but. So, um, you know, I think, I think I'll think i hold any comments until the next quarterly report comes out, um, but you definitely saw, you know, it, it was sort of insulated from a bit of the slowdown in the market earlier. The past few quarters, it's also, it's kind of been hit and it's it's slowed as well.
0: When Sean's report come out? Uh,
3: he usually releases it, um, what are we now, probably you'll see it in October, um, kind of late October I'd expect. I mean, he, he will usually do the summary on their blog, so it's always a great, you know, it's a quick Quick read, I'd say go there kind of within a month after the end of a quarter, and and he'll usually report on the rental market and also on the uh, the new bill market, and it's um, you know, it's always great stuff.
0: He's a great resource for you guys.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: okay, moving on to close <laughs> it up here. Everybody stresses out about this uh, these questions, um, especially the last one. But I'll go each of you uh, favorite neighborhood in Toronto.
1: Favorite? Well, I have to say, my heart is in Roncesvalles. <laughs> I am. You Did know, you get dragged no one, one of there? Polish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I need to get my uh, fix of Ronsi. Yeah. I get cherry bomb coffee. Go get some Polish food. Um, I I just I, I just love it. Um, nice. I love where I, I, love I live I as well, it. but uh, my heart is in Ronsi for sure.
0: Nice. Which one? Which one? I just
2: love. Yeah, I just love that area. I grew up around there and. I, I recently made the move to the suburbs because I took on the family life, but I still love that area. It's just like it's just home. That's where I was born and raised. So. Nice. Yeah.
3: For me, I gotta say waterfront. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I you know, I was I kind of started my working career I've in Main Street. I've never heard anybody say that. No, I. You <laughs> know what? I and I think I think where they're going with the waterfront, the East End. I think it could be something special. I yeah. think like you drive through there now. Um, they're actually starting with trails and parks and green space, uh, and then they're gonna, you know, fill it with with uh, buildings. So, you know, it could be an area, it could be Toronto done right, going for us, but I I, I like it, I mean, I, I like the activity down there.
0: When um, I first moved to Toronto, I stepped off the plane, I rented a place down in Queensky in uh, the 390, 315, 390 yep. tower, you know the brown towers? Yeah, yep. I, mean, I, I think they're gray and red now, but yeah, that's, uh, so I lived it, down yeah. there for a few years, yeah. Um, favorite restaurant in Toronto?
1: That's a hard one,
2: um, (laughs) come back to her maybe. (laughs) I'll
0: come back to you. You can't say Polish deli. Um, Yeah. Favorite restaurant in Toronto.
2: I really like uh, Piano Piano on, uh, on Harvard there. Yeah,
0: I love Harvard. I just love being there. Yeah, I love that street. That's
2: actually another good area, like that College and Grace area, Palmerston.
0: And what's the, uh, oh God, I just went blank. What's the sushi place across the street?
2: From piano piano? Yeah. Or? it's like
0: very close. Oh, it's such a great sushi place. It's like
3: a like a higher end sushi place. Oh yeah? Yeah. Oh god it will come to me. This is going to sound like a cop-out, but I'm going to say Pizza Nova <laughs> because after a stressful week, I'm yeah. sitting with my kids. We order a Friday night. We'll get a Pizza Nova pizza, and we'll connect over it. So it's, That's you know, insane. it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's a cop-out, but uh, thin crust, well done.
0: Nice. Pizza <laughs> Nova. That. That's the Blair. Blair would have answered the same <laughs> thing.
1: Yeah. I, I I'm, My comfort food is Italian, so I like... Uh, um, Taroni, which is very close to our office. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually ban myself from going there because it's also a takeout. <laughs> too much carbs is not good. Um, kale salad from uh,
2: Gusto. I love the kale uh, salad from Gusto. Yeah, it's amazing. I haven't amazing. been in
0: so long though, like pre-COVID.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. it's right beside I'm our at, office. I'm at
0: Taroni way too much. Like My kids are obsessed with Taroni, so we get dragged there all the time.
2: It's good, at least they have a good taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Too good. I ever tell you that story. Um, my, my ki- like, my London just will eat anything. Like she has a really like expansive palate, I guess. Inexpensive, I should say. I land in Cape Breton. My, my Cape Breton family pick her up at the airport, my sister and brother-in-law, and the kids are in the backseat, and Noel and Kenny say to London, where do you guys want to, let's get some lunch, where do you guys want to, we'll pick up something for the way home. And Kingsley's like, I want steak. <laughs> and London's like I want lobster <laughs> and they're like pizza pizza it is <laughs> so what's
1: your favorite restaurant oh,
3: good mine I,
0: I, uh, I have to say La Ban where you guys went mm-hmm. to yeah, dinner okay. with that us that was great uh, Tay and I got engaged there it's our, kind of our, our place to, to go back to um, I've always been a huge fan of Rob Gentile um, mm-hmm. from the, the Buka days uh, down in King West not that Rob's there anymore but uh, I still remember Buka when it was Rob
2: He's opening up in LA, Stella.
0: Yeah, he's been he's been up there a lot, yeah. yeah he's opening a restaurant I there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I it's didn't called know Stella. That. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. He does um, but Boca Yorkville as well. You know, more of a seafood vibe. Cool. Yeah. Guys, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Old Thanks friends so and uh, great colleagues and appreciate your time. Thank Thank
1: you. You. So Thanks many so us. many amazing memories. And yeah. Many more sure. to make. For sure, for sure. None
2: awesome. that we can mention here. No, I'm just <laughs>
0: That's wrap. Right. All right, thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys.
2: Thanks.